What is going on, beautiful people of the world? My name is Garrett Wolf, and I am the host of the number one podcast for people who are trying to go from saggy flabs to six-pack abs. I've built my body over the last eight years, and in the last three years, I've helped hundreds of online clients shred unwanted fat and embody the best version of themselves. Now, let's jump right into today's show. What is going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Alpha Movement Podcast. This is the number one show for people who are trying to go from saggy flabs to six-pack abs, all without giving up the most enjoyable aspects of their life. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about why you should eat more, why you get to eat more on a cut, all right, when you should eat more, why you get to eat more, why some people might think their calories are a little bit high when they're going on a cut, why they're eating more food, why they're eating more volume while on a cut, and all things having to do with consuming food on a cut and the kind of the mental barriers and the mental barricades that come along with dieting down on a cut. All right, guys, so you already know the deal. If at any point during this episode, you enjoy what I have to say, or you take some value from this podcast, then please screenshot my face. Share it to your Instagram stories, tag me at underscore Garrett Wolf, and I will reshare it to my story and send you a free gift. Other than that, guys, Today's a great fucking day. I hope you are all having a fantastic fucking day. I'm feeling good. It's Sunday. I got my white monster right there. I got the podcast. I got two cameras recording me, one for the recording and one for the live stream on Instagram. So if you guys are tuning in, I thank you for that from the bottom of my heart. And I wanted to talk to you guys today about the mental barriers of going on a cut because I was onboarding a client yesterday, right? I was onboarding two clients, but one client in particular had an issue, had a problem. And they were like, I'm not going to name any names, but I gave them their calorie value. I gave them their macros and it was pretty decently high. It was like a lot of food, a a decent amount of food for a normal person. It would have been a lot of food. And so they messaged me and they were like, I understand the protein um, being so high, but why are the carbs and the fats so high when I'm trying to lose weight, right? This person is fairly overweight and they're trying to cut down body fat. They're trying to make ends meet for a competition that is coming up. So they're trying to cut down about 10 pounds, 10 to 20 pounds before this competition comes up. And so they were wondering, they were curious, why are my calories so high while I'm cutting down for this competition? And their calories, what I put them at is they were at 3,400 calories for the day, every single day. And this is a lot, right? This is a lot. Me on contest prep right now, I'm at 1975, so 1,975 calories. So this person almost gets to eat double what I get to eat, which is crazy. That's like, I wish, I wish I got to eat that many calories throughout the day. But unfortunately, I'm not the same weight as this person. This person gets to eat double the amount of calories, but this person is almost double the amount of weight that I am. This person is about 280 pounds. I am about 155 pounds, right? So you can already see the discrepancy right there where it's like they get to eat a lot more than me because they're a lot bigger than I am and I get to eat a lot less. For example, for a little bit of contrast, for comparison, if anybody watching this podcast knows who Jesse James West is, he just did a bodybuilding competition and he had to bring his calories to 1,200 to 1,600 every single day. And so he was eating basically almost nothing before he got to step on stage, but he did step on stage absolutely peeled to the bone and absolutely shredded, which was insane. But I'm talking about my client right here, and I want to get into the mental struggles a little bit about, you know, why you get to eat more than you might think. Because here's the problem. Here's the thing is that I use this statistic all the time. 
is 80% of dieters regain the weight that they lost six months to a year down the line of initially dieting. And this is because of a few things. Number one, this is because they go in way too deep. They go in way too deep of a calorie deficit that is not sustainable long term. Their metabolism cannot keep up with their daily lifestyle habits. They cannot keep up with a 1200 calorie, 1500 calorie, 1600 calorie diet for longer than three to six months. And that's why six to 12 months down the line, they regain all the weight that they lost because they might lose a bunch of weight up front. They might lose 30 pounds at first, right? During the first one, two, three, even four months. But then they're not going to be able to sustain it because their metabolism is now incredibly slow. They're going to get insane amount of food cravings and they're just going to start eating more and more and more and they're going to regain all the weight that they lost six to 12 months down the line, right? This is the typical sequence and it happens to 80% of people that try this. So almost a hundred fucking percent, almost every single one, eight out of 10 people go through this struggle over and over and over again. And that's why America has such a bad obesity problem. But here's the thing, guys. Other countries don't really have this obesity problem now, do they? It's mainly just America. But if you look at the foods that we eat, we all have more or less the same foods. We all have McDonald's, right? It's not like Europe or, you know, it's not like France and all these other countries. It's not like they don't have McDonald's. It's not like, you know, they don't have Wendy's and Taco Bell. It's not like they don't have Chipotle or Moe's. It's not like they don't have all these fast food restaurants. But here's the difference is that these people who live in Europe and other countries alike that don't have obesity problems, that don't have an obesity epidemic going on, is that they move a lot throughout the day. They are constantly walking. If you ever go to Europe, I've never been, but this is what everybody says. They're constantly walking. And in America, we have an obesity epidemic because people are constantly sitting down. I'm sitting down right now. I sit down for most of the day. I don't go like, you know, I don't walk to places. We all like either live in a house or we, you know, we drive to work and then we, we either work at home or we drive to work, which is sitting down. And then we sit down at work. Not a lot of people stand up at work. Not a lot of people get a lot of steps at work. So the problem isn't that we're over consuming. It's part of the problem, but it's not the main issue. It's not the core issue. The main issue is that we have a lack of movement, right? And so this is the discrepancy right here. I could have put this person's calories down to like 2,800, 2,600, and that would have been fine. And I could have had them cut from there, right? I could have had them losing weight from there. But instead, what I like to do with all my clients is I tell them to hit 10,000 steps a day. And so if you hit 10,000 steps per day, you're going to burn an extra approximately 1,000 calories. It's different for each person, but say you burn 2,000 calories normally. If you incorporate 10,000 steps a day, you're now going to burn 3,000 calories. And so you're going to be able to eat a lot more. And here's the thing. This combats two things right here. Number one, actually, it combats three things, right? Number one, it gets you fucking moving and we need to move because talk about like anxiety, depression, all these mental disorders that people struggle with. It's because of their, you know, they're not moving. They're sitting still all day. They're not getting proper blood flow to the brain. They're not drinking enough water. This is why I tell all my clients to get at least a gallon of water in every single day. They have no blood flow. They get no water. They're kind of dehydrated. Imagine like a sponge, right? Imagine your brain is like a sponge and your muscles like a sponge because your body is made up of like 80% water. So it's like a sponge, right? It's like a dry sponge. And if you pour water on top of a sponge, it expands, right? And it starts to get bigger and it starts to get more full, more voluminous, and it's just healthier. It's just, it looks a lot better, right? A dried sponge looks all crusty. It's all hard. It's all like flaky, but then you fill it up with water 
and it becomes like pompous. It becomes voluminous and it becomes just an all around healthier looking sponge. If you can imagine what a healthy sponge looks like. So it combats that, right? It combats the blood flow. It gets you moving, scheduling in 10,000 steps because nobody, the average American walks 4,000 steps a day, right? Nobody fucking walks anymore. And unfortunately, we have to schedule in walks now. I shouldn't have to schedule in 10,000 steps a day for you. You should hopefully hit 10,000 steps a day from your job or whatever the fuck you do on a day-to-day basis. But even for me, being a men's physique competitor, being a bodybuilder for eight years, being an online fitness coach... I have to schedule in walks for myself too because I run two businesses at home by myself. I'm constantly sitting down. I tried to combat this with a stand-up desk the best I could, but unfortunately, you're still just standing there. You're not exactly moving at a stand-up desk. So even me, I have to schedule in 10,000 steps, right? So scheduling in these 10,000 steps combats three things. It helps you get more blood flow to the brain. It helps you move more than 10,000 steps per day. And it allows you, number three, to eat more food. And this one is a huge one. This is a big one because people, one of the biggest struggles that people struggle with on a, on a fat loss journey or when they're trying to lose weight is the cravings. We always get so fucking hungry, right? That we just feel like we need to eat. We need to eat. And the thing about cravings and hunger, I talked about this in yesterday's podcast, cravings and hunger are two different things. Cravings are when your brain starts to change up your thought patterns. Cravings are when your brain starts to mess with your own neurology and it starts to kind of make you think that you want to eat. That's a craving. That's not hunger. Hunger is just the sensation. Hunger is the sensation in your tummy where it's like rumbling a little bit and you're like, fuck, I'm hungry, but I don't have any calories left for the day, whatever. Cravings are when they permeate your subconscious, they permeate your brain, and they, they start having you make up excuses as to why you should go eat more food. So it's two different things. Cravings is like an addiction. Cravings is like, you know, a sugar addiction. We talk about this all the time, how sugar is more addicting than cocaine. It literally is. They've proven this multiple times over in studies that sugar is more addicting than cocaine. So you can imagine a cocaine addict trying to stop, trying to stop sniffing fucking coke all day. It's pretty fucking hard for them, right? It's pretty difficult. They start going through withdrawals because the neurology in their brain, it starts telling them, you need coke for whatever reason they start believing you need fucking coke and the same thing happens for someone who's on a weight loss journey for someone who's a little bit overweight when they start you know eliminating these sugary foods and these hyper palatable salty and sugary foods from their diet when they get to the end of their day and they've eaten up all their calories their brain starts saying yo we need fucking sugar and it's not like you're deficient it's not like you're gonna have withdrawals like physical withdrawals from no sugar like you will from say meth or coke i don't i don't know if actually coke gives you physical withdrawal symptoms i think meth does though or heroin or whatever the fuck i don't know a lot about these extensive like deep ass drugs but Anyway, it's not like your body's going to start breaking down or you're going to start like hyperventilating or sweating or getting cold sweats or anything like that. It's just subconsciously addicting, right? You're going to start permeating your own consciousness and you're going to start making up reasons as to why you should go eat some sugar. This happened to me last night. I'm not immune to this. If you saw yesterday's podcast, the nighttime podcast, because I did a morning podcast and a nighttime podcast, is at night I had eaten all my calories for the day right? But I was still hungry and I started to get cravings. Luckily, I know how to combat these things because I don't have any sugar in my fucking house. There's nothing that I could go get that is sugary or addictive or hyper palatable in any way whatsoever because I just don't keep that in the house when I'm on contest prep because I know that that shit is a dream killer, 
right? So I don't allow that shit in my house, but I did end up overeating my calories and eating an extra quest protein bar that did happen. And I fixed the problem right away because I went for an extra walk and I burned, you know, 25, all right, you hit, you know, an extra 2,500 steps. So I burned the, the 200 calories off the quest bar. No problem. I fixed the issue right away. Right. But the point is, is I'm not immune to these cravings whatsoever. Nobody is immune to these cravings because food is fucking addictive. Food is like the most addictive substance on the planet because we get so hungry, right? We get so hungry and it starts changing your subconscious. It starts permeating your psyche and you start wondering like, dude, do my goals even matter? Like, I don't even really care if I lose weight. I need food right now because I'm fucking hungry. Your brain starts saying, yo, I'm going to fucking die. Like, I'm pissed off. I'm angry. And you start assigning reasons as to why you should go cheat on your diet. It's crazy. If you've ever dieted, you've experienced this in the past. Or if you've ever gotten off drug addiction, you've experienced this same thing too. A substance that's fit, not physically addictive, but psychologically addictive is it's the same exact thing. You start making up reasons and excuses like, Throughout the day, you could be like, you know, I hate this drug. It makes me feel like shit. I am not going to do this drug at all. And then at night, nighttime comes around and your brain is like, you know what? I actually really do like this drug. It's a complete 180. It's like, you know, I really do like this drug. It actually helps with this, this and that. And, you know, I think I really need some of that right now. It's like you're the same person, but your cravings start to kill your subconscious mind. Your cravings start to permeate your subconscious. And the same thing happens with food. So this is why I incorporate steps. This is why I incorporate 10,000 steps. And this is why this person gets to eat 3,400 calories every single day. Not to mention this person doesn't just hit 10,000 steps. This person hits seven to 20,000 steps every single day. So that's why I gave them 3,400 calories. Not to mention another reason I gave them this, you know, seemingly high amount of calories, which is really not that high for a 280 pound person is because I need to start you off slow. Right? I need to start you off slow because if I throw you into the deep end, you're going to become a victim to the 80%. You're just going to drown. Right, That is not going to help you. I don't want to help you lose 10 to 20 pounds during the first three months and have you regain it all back six to 12 months down the line. We need to work on getting 1% better every single day. Because I know that if you try to go for 2,800 calories, you're likely going to fall off the bandwagon, right? There's an 80% chance that you're going to regain the weight. And that's a terrible position for me to put you in. But I also know that momentum is one of the strongest driving forces on this planet within this reality. So if I can get you winning just a little bit at first, if I can get you putting one foot in front of the other, taking a step forward every single day, if I can get you hitting 3,400 calories, then I know that if I can get you hitting that for a week, then the week after that, I can get you hitting 3,300 calories. And the week after that, I can get you hitting 3,200 calories. And the week after that, I can get you hitting 3,100 calories, right? 1% progress every single day. That's the most important thing. What is sustainable long-term? It's not what you can do right now. It's not how much weight you can lose within a month, two months, three months. It's how much weight can you keep off of your body for the rest of your life. That's what's important. Not quick results, not overnight results, not anything like that. We need to keep you on the bandwagon for as long as possible. Now, here's another reason that you get to eat more food, not just calories, but you get to eat more food on a diet because obviously you don't get to eat more calories. If this person was bulking, they'd be at like 4,200 or 4,300, but this person's at 3,400 calories, right? And they're cutting, but you get to eat more voluminous foods because when you're on a cut you want to go for nutrient dense 
like not hyper palatable, but you go for nutrient dense palatable foods, not hyper palatable, but foods that are tasty. So you can use natural sweeteners like, you know, monk fruit or stevia leaf, not sugars. Sugars have calories in them. They have carbs, right? But monk fruit and stevia, they do not have calories or sucralose and aspartame. These artificial sweeteners, they do not have calories. Now, there's an argument that they might spike your blood sugar and give you cravings, which may be true. And if this is true for you, you might want to stay away from these things. But they can help you make food more palatable and help you actually eat a higher volume of food. Because the problem with hyper palatable, sugary and salty filled foods is they're pretty small, right? If you've ever had a donut, it's like 300 calories and it's like that big, right? It's like a circle. But then if you go ahead and eat 300 calories of broccoli and snow peas with salt on them and garlic powder, you can get like a gigantic fucking tub of it. It's like a whole shit ton of vegetables, right? And I know people are like, vegetables versus donuts. Like, of course, I'm going to eat the donut over the vegetables. But I'm telling you, when you diet down, your palate changes. If you stay away from these hyper palatable, sugary, salty, bullshit foods that do not serve you, your palate will start to evolve. Your state, your taste buds will start to evolve and broccoli and snow peas will start actually tasting pretty damn good. The only problem comes along when you start introducing, reintroducing these hyper palatable, sugary foods that mess up your taste buds. And they really do mess them up. They fry your taste buds and they take away the juxtaposition of this broccoli might actually taste pretty good if I just put salt and gar garlic powder on it rather than because you're comparing it now to like a donut or a cookie. But if you eliminate those things, they really do become pretty tasty. I struggled with food with eating this type of food for a long time. It was only once I gave myself a reason to eat these foods and my reason is that I'm stepping on stage in six weeks for the first time and I don't want to make a fool out of myself that allowed me to start eating these vegetables that allowed me to start eliminating these hyper palatable foods from my diet. And I'm telling you from personal experience that if you eliminate the hyper palatable foods altogether, the normal healthy foods, the steaks, the chicken breasts, the turkey breasts, the lean ground beef, the vegetables, the plain carbs, the potatoes, the rices, all these foods, the spinach, the broccoli, the snow peas, they start to become a lot tastier. And that's because your palate is evolving. It's ever changing. And all, I'm not saying you can't have a donut or a cookie every now and again, if you want it, if you really, really want it, I would advise against it though. Because I would say, why the hell are you eating that anyway? Humans like we nowadays in America, we constantly think that food is like meant for pleasure. Food is meant to make you feel good. Food is meant to make you feel a certain way. It's like a social event nowadays. But this is not what food is for. Food is for fuel. Food is for food is for nutrition. Food is for micronutrients. Food is to make you fuel you. It's supposed to be the coal for the engine of the train. It's not supposed to be the pleasure. You don't throw coal into an engine of a train and expect the train to feel good and expect the train to be happy. That is not what food is for. And that's why America is just so fucked up. That's why America is obese is because nobody walks. Everybody thinks food is for pleasure. Everybody thinks they need these cookies and these fucking pretzels and these iced coffees and all these bullshit foods that don't serve you. And they completely ignore all the nutrition that actually fuels them, that actually serves them. The vegetables, the meats, the, the, the clean carbs, the starches like potatoes and rice. And they completely miss the mark on the reason of why they're actually eating the food in the first place. And so on a cut, 
you actually get to eat more food. As long as you stay away from the calorically dense, hyperpalatable foods that taste amazing given, but they make you feel like shit even though they may make you feel good for 30 seconds while you're eating it. They make you feel like shit in the long run, and if you stop eating them and introduce these healthier foods, then it will serve you not only for the time being, not only will they taste better while you're eating them, but they'll make you feel good throughout the rest of the day. They'll improve your quality of life significantly. And that's why you get to eat more on a calorie deficit. That's why you get to eat more on a cut. That's why this person is getting to eat all these like, you know, calorie high diet plan for this, you know, eight weeks that I'm going to be working with them. That's why I'm starting their calories so high because we're walking a bunch. We're trying to get 1% better every single day. We're going to be burning a fuck ton of calories, not only in the gym, but also on a walk. We're going to be drinking a gallon of water every single day, and we're going to be focusing on getting 1% better, 1% progress. And if we need to lower the calories, say they don't lose weight the first week, we will lower the calories and we will get them making progress every single week. I guarantee you that. All right, guys, that brings us to the end of the t- today's podcast. That's why you literally get to eat more in a calorie deficit. That's why you literally get to eat more when you're cutting weight. And so I hope you got some value from this podcast. If you did get value, please screenshot my face, share it to your guys' Instagram story, tag me at underscore Garrett Wolf, and I will reshare it to my story and send you a free gift. Other than that, guys, it has been your boy Garrett Wolf, and I will see you all in the next podcast episode. Peace, peace. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Hopefully you got some value. If you did get value and you want to learn a little bit more about how you can go from saggy flabs to six pack abs, just head over to my Instagram at underscore Garrett Wolf, DM me the word six pack, and I'll reach out to you and see if I can help. Again, thank you guys so much for tuning in today, and I will see you all in the next podcast episode. Peace, peace.